Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Now, we are in week five of a series that we've stepped into as a church um, called Devoted, and it's based on the book of Acts in the Bible that documents the history of the birth of the early church. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, about the early church when it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved." We all want to know that our lives make a difference. Research tells us that man's deepest desire is a sense that he lived out a full potential, that he was part of something bigger than himself, that his life carried significant purpose. And the way you and I as followers of Jesus make a difference doesn't begin by focusing on deeds. It begins by building the foundations of our devotion. That portion of scripture says, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. The heart of God is to seek and save the lost. The way we see that played out through the lives of the early church was not when they focused on the deeds they had to do, but the devotion they were developing. It starts by saying not they did many amazing things that made people want to follow Jesus. It says they devoted themselves. And suddenly it begins to describe the church community itself. As a four-year-old congregation with most of us here not being here for longer than perhaps three years, many much less, We have to, before we ever go out and do the great things God has called us to, ensure that we develop depth in our devotion as community. Because the addition of people's lives being changed through our work together doesn't start with deeds, it starts with our devotion. And this is why Jesus spent more time preparing a community of followers than proclaiming the good news. And today, I want us to look specifically at the early church's devotion to giving. Acts 2.45 makes it clear that the early church didn't only devote themselves to learning God's word, building relationships, and living generously, but that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The early church gave up the security of personal investments through property for personal investments in people for God's kingdom. Jesus says, 
In Luke chapter 16, verse 9 to 13, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, many of you might hear that and say, oh, okay, so I must use my money to impress people so I have more friends. Shame. That's not what this is saying. What this scripture is saying is use the money of the world to make friends. And the word friends here loses its true meaning in translation. But friends means those who are in need or needing to come to God in the original language. In other words, use earthly money to sow into spiritual priority. Others in need and others who must come to Jesus. And then it goes on, it says, so that when it is gone... And that's translated more accurately, so when you die, you will be welcomed into eternity with Jesus. The early church sold and gave up the security of personal property for the sake of heaven's priorities. Like Jesus said in the book of Luke, they used their wealth to make friends to make a difference for those in need and those that were far from God. Imagine the people who may be in eternity because you got to sow the riches of this world into the riches of heaven. Those who will one day welcome you into heaven because you used your worldly wealth to reach them for Jesus through your finances. This was one of the areas to which the early church devoted themselves. And it was one of the foundation blocks that allowed their lives to make a difference because it meant that the Lord could add to their number daily those who were being saved. What we sow can create a doorway for someone's salvation. The physical money you give to God through the church becomes spiritual seeds sown into a spiritual harvest from which you benefit. But like the early church, it will require giving up the sense of security our personal investments promise us. You see, money promises us what only God can give us. If you invest now, you will have future financial peace, knowing that all things will work. If you give just 50 rand a day in your retirement, you'll enjoy the payback. You know, it's peace. Money promises us what only God can give us. That's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And the, the, another word for money there is mammon, which was the Syrian god of riches. Control people through the power of withholding or giving. A little like the Antichrist described in the book of Revelation. In order for us to be devoted in our giving to God, it will require us giving up the sense of security of personal investments. The Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs eleven twenty eight speaks into this when it says, those who trust in their riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Our tithing and our financial giving to God reveals our trust. It reveals where our trust lies. And it tests our faith. The only security I have for my financial investments 
is found in heavenly places. It's like, where do I invest? So I have like peace of mind and I know my future's all right. Now, please, I'm not saying be stupid. Oh, great, I'm gonna cash in all my, you know, just use the money and just bless people. But you can be intelligent about it, but, but the reality is that my greatest security in my financial investments is ultimately found in heavenly places. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasures in heaven are people. Remember, it's, it's using your worldly wealth to make friends. And the word friends, there is people in need or far from God. Treasures in heaven are the people Jesus came to seek and save. And that's why Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 16, verse 9 to 13, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The reality is that we gain eternal riches through financial giving to God. We, we do. It's a real spiritual thing. Now, it's interesting that at the end of Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus says, don't store up treasure for yourself um, on earth. It ends in verse 21 with him saying, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Devotion to financial giving to God is not a hand issue, it's a heart issue. And this is why Jesus says in Luke 16 verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What am I devoted to through my financial giving? What does my financial giving to God reflect about where my devotion lies? You cannot serve both God and money. Now Jesus here refers to money as the competition for the throne of our hearts over him. Jesus is communicating the threat of being mastered by money. Author of the book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Elkhorn said, money makes a terrible master, yet it makes a good servant to those who have the right master, God. I pray God blesses you with money. I want you to have nice houses and go on amazing holidays. I sleep better when I know that your businesses are doing well. This isn't about you becoming poor and impoverished for the sake of the Lord. In fact, you might find God blesses you beyond what you could have asked or imagined. But, but what we are talking about is the fact that, that we can be mastered by money, and that's where the problem lies. See, it's okay to have money, but it's not okay for money to have you. And this is why the New Testament book of Hebrews 13.5 tells us, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You see, we are to love God and use money, but sometimes we love money and we use God. 
We want what God has to offer, but prefer to avoid what we can offer him, especially when it comes to money. You know, I don't do like finances with my faith walk. They're two different things. Don't talk about finance when it comes to my faith walk with Jesus. In Luke's gospel, chapter 21, verse 1, we read of the historical account of Jesus at the temple. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, the interesting thing with this verse is we use it and go, guys, what this scripture is telling us is that it doesn't matter how much you give. Actually, that's completely incorrect. This is all about how much you give. Because the poor widow gave way more in the context of her world than anyone else. So, Jesus wasn't looking at how much she was able to give with her hands, but at the condition of her heart. You see, the widow put God first with every part of the money she depended on. She was trusting God with her heart by giving of her hands, while the others were giving from the wealth in which they put their trust. You see, her giving wasn't a donation It was devotion. As 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Hands give religious donations. Hearts give relational devotion. And Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts above all else because it determines the course of our lives. One of the ways we guard our hearts is through financially giving to God. Can't serve two masters, either God or money. How do I guard my heart? from mammon taking place on the throne to which only God should be the master. Part of guarding my heart has to do with the devotion of my giving with my hands. See, we gain eternal riches through financial giving to God and we guard our hearts through financial giving to God. Now, You might be saying, yes, Grant, cool. You're doing the whole money thing for your Ferrari. Don't have a Ferrari. We have one very small car with two big boys squeeze inside and went camping last week. Promise you, we understand. We pay the price for the sake of the sense of call. So no, I don't use your money for my Ferrari. You might be saying, but if I give my financial tithe to the church, Am I really giving it to God? I'm giving it to you guys to do like your church stuff. It's not to God. Let me rather take it and I will give it to people to be a blessing like the Lord. The book of Acts records the persecution of the early church at one stage. And it's under the leadership of a man called Saul. And On one of his trips, he's going to Damascus to persecute the Christians 
when suddenly light from heaven flashed all around him, and he was knocked to the ground, and a voice from heaven spoke, the voice of God. And we read of this in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Listen. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If Saul's persecution of God himself was through his attack on the local church, then a form of our love for God is through our relationship with the local church and our tithe is not to the local church, but through the church to God. It's so personal, the local church, to God, that when it's persecuted, he says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not that side Christian thing where people get together and do their religious singing. It's me. When you tithe, you don't give to the church, you give to God through the church. God has entrusted me with the money he's provided me with. Not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. And so one of the building blocks of the foundation from which my life can make a difference is my devotion to giving financially to God. And so I ask myself this question. As I personally grapple with putting God first in the area of finances, Am I a sower or just a spender? Am I a sower? Is my finance turning into spiritual seed through the way I give and use my money? Or do I just spend it? See, faithfulness with my seed, big or small, is significant. And very often has a deeper impact than I will ever recognize. Whenever I ask God for a harvest in my life, God will always ask me for a seed. And I go, well, God, like that widow, I bring what I have faithfully and I trust you. You say, but God, I I don't see how this can ever give me the harvest of provision that I need or have an impact in eternity that will make a difference and mean my life is significant. But let us not forget the words of Robert H. Schuller when he said, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. You will never know the full impact your financial giving may have in service to God. But as you and I together seek to deepen our devotion as the foundation from which our lives will make a difference, I trust that you would internalize the words from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And I pray these words over you and I as we navigate the depth of our devotion together. It says, here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. 
He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do, just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him. Because he has sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant toward you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. 